Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin reading at verse 32. Let's read the word of the Lord together. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now, Lord, I ask you to open our hearts once again that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray that this will be a word of encouragement and a word of challenge. But mostly I pray that this will be a word of transformation so that we will not leave here the same way we came. I lift up to you other life-giving churches. I thank you for them. I pray blessing upon them. I thank you for their witness. I pray that their witness will increase and that you will prosper them in this coming year. And I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith. I ask that you will draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray that this will be the year for prodigals to return. I pray all these things in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The letter to the Hebrews is one of my favorite New Testament books, maybe because it's the one that has the most Old Testament flavor to it, I'm not sure. Written around 67 AD to Jews who had become believers in Jesus, its purpose was to present the Lord Jesus as perfect and superior to anything that the Old Covenant of Judaism had to offer. In this letter that, that reads much like a sermon, the writer systematically looks at the major tenets of Jewish faith and tradition. Beginning in chapter 1, he shows how Jesus is greater and better than the angels and the prophets. Then he says that Jesus is greater and better than Moses. Later in the book, he talks about how Jesus is greater and better than the priesthood descended from Aaron in the tribe of Levi. Finally, he says that Jesus and the new covenant inaugurated through his sacrificial death is greater and better than the law and the old covenant based on the blood sacrifices of lambs and bullocks. 
At the time of this writing, the little band of believers was under intense persecution. Not long after they became followers of Jesus, they were banished from the synagogue by the Jewish establishment. Riots in the Jewish quarter ensued, which then led to persecution under the Roman emperor Claudius and ultimately to them being expelled from Rome. Property was stolen from them. Family heirlooms, things they had worked and saved to acquire, gifts from friends, all forcibly taken away. Jobs were forfeited. Reputations were ruined. Friendships were broken. Families were torn. The pressure continued to intensify without any relief on the horizon, and things just were not working out the way they thought they would. In response to this unrelenting adversity, some of the young converts were second-guessing their decision about following Jesus and were contemplating a return to Judaism. They had given up some things. They had done the will of God. They had embraced a faith in Jesus and the fresh promises of God, but their present condition wasn't meeting expectations. They had started out on a spiritual journey, but they hadn't yet arrived at their destination. They were caught in a place between then and a place called there. They were stuck in this. They thought they should have gotten there by this time. They weren't really thrilled with this. As a result, some were contemplating going back to then, what they were comfortable with. I, I just wonder if that sounds familiar to anybody today. You've given up an old way of life, expecting and believing God for something greater and better, but you haven't yet received it. You can't go back, but, but you can't seem to obtain the promise, so you're stuck in this. All you stand and sing, it is well with my soul, but truth be known, all is not well. Everything in your life isn't fine. You're going through a mess. You're not financially free. You're financially frustrated. You're physically debilitated. You're relationally ruined. You're on the verge of a mental meltdown. Instead of singing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, you find yourself lamenting, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Some of you have been praying and believing for something for such a long time, and you've seen absolutely no movement. Things are still just like they were before you prayed the first prayer. Nothing's changed. You're in a place where temptation is tempting you. It's the place where doubt is trying to defeat you. It's the place where your conscience is crying, quit. When things rock on without any end in sight, when suffering goes on much longer than you expect, that's when you start to lose your courage. That's when you begin to wonder if trusting the Lord is ever going to pay off. That's when you begin to wonder if following Jesus is worth the pain. Is there anybody who knows what I'm talking about today? Has anybody ever had those questions, experienced those kinds of things? You try to believe God will come through for you, but your mind keeps taking you back to the times when you believed and it didn't happen. 
When you've been waiting on God to do something for a long time and he doesn't come through like you expect him to, the great danger is that you'll despair of waiting and you'll turn back and in the process, you'll throw away your confidence. Now the title for the message today is a now word for a new year. And I don't often announce the title of my message, but I wanted you to hear that today. And I called it that because I believe the Lord has spoken to my spirit a word to proclaim to you at the beginning of this new year that is before us. And it's a word not only for today, but it's a word you're going to need throughout the rest of this year. I know you've been through some stuff. I know you've experienced disappointments. I know you've had tragedy. I know there have been setbacks. I know you felt stuck, like you couldn't gain any traction, any momentum. I know you have more questions than answers. I know the temptation is to drop out and give up. But the word the Lord has given me to proclaim to you today is confidence. More specifically, do not Throw away your confidence. The word that is translated confidence in verse 35 is the Greek word paresia. It literally means to have boldness. It carries the meaning of being forthright, blunt, direct, straight to the point. It describes a very bold, frank, outspoken kind of language. In this context, it has the particular reference to the kind of witness the Hebrews had formerly exhibited in the face of intense persecution. No matter what happened, they continued to proclaim the promise of God. They boldly and publicly professed their faith. They loudly declared what they believed. The problem was that when the results they were seeing didn't happen, and the results they were seeking didn't happen, and the prospect of anything changing faded to black, they began to get tired. In their weariness, they were tempted to toss it all away and count it as nonsense. And this is when the Lord speaks through the writer of this letter and admonishes, do not throw away your confidence. This is the word the Lord wants to say to somebody that is weary of the struggle today. Confidence. Confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. Sure, the battle may continue to rage. Confidence. Sure, the struggle may not be over. Confidence. Sure, the answer may be delayed. Confidence. 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 Do not throw away your confidence. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody who's on the verge of throwing away your confidence. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody who has already lost your confidence. And you're wondering how you can get it back. Well, in this passage, I see three things that will help you maintain your confidence if you're in danger of tossing it away. And these same three things are the things that will help you regain your confidence if you've lost it and want it back. So here we go. First of all, you need to remember yesterday's provision. In verses 32 and 33, the writer says, but remember the former days 
when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. He's reminding these Hebrew believers that they had gone through problems and trials and heartaches and persecutions and disappointments before, and the Lord saw them through. And I'd just like to take a moment and remind some of you about the same thing. See, there have been times when you didn't know how you were going to make it, but you made it. You didn't know how you were going to survive, but you're here. You survived. You thought you were all alone, but the Lord stood with you. You thought you were going under, but the Lord held you up. Oh, I'd like to know if I have anybody listening to this message who remembers the goodness of God to your life. Can anybody here testify to the truth of Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2? I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. Can anybody testify to the truth of Psalm 37 and 25? I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Can anybody testify to the truth of Psalm 30 verse 5? Weeping may endure for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Can anybody here testify that the Lord has put food on your table and clothes on your back and shoes on your feet and a roof over your head? Can anybody testify that the Lord has been a waymaker and a burden bearer and a heavy load sharer and a promise keeper? Anybody here can testify the Lord has been a yoke destroyer and a bondage breaker? Oh, is anybody that can testify that the Lord has seen you through some dark times? Can you testify that the Lord has kept you and sustained you and watched over you and defended you? Anybody here that can testify that the Lord has kept you from falling? Can anybody testify that the Lord has gone before you and prepared a way and he's opened doors of opportunity and he's closed doors of distraction? Anybody can testify about that today? Well, I want to tell you, Jesus has not changed. He is the same today as he was yesterday. And the same Lord that has kept you is keeping you. The same Lord that has sustained you is sustaining you. The same Lord that protected you is protecting you. The same Lord that provided for you is providing for you. The same Lord that watched over you is watching over you. The same Lord that has helped you is helping you. The same Lord that worked on your behalf is still working for your good. I tell you, it's too soon to quit. You've come too far to turn back. Remember yesterday's provision. Do not throw away your confidence. Praise God. And the second thing you need to do to maintain or to regain your confidence is you have to recover today's patience. In the King James Bible, the writer says in verse 36, for you have need of patience. The Greek word is hupomone. 
that's a fun word to say. You know, everybody ought to say that about three times every day, you know, just to kind of get the juices flowing. It means literally to abide under or to hold up under. It means the ability to bear up under trials and difficulties. It has the idea of steadfastness, of constancy, of staying power. That's why the version that we read earlier uses the word endurance. I think that's a better word. You have need of endurance. Now, understand, endurance isn't just sitting there and holding on for all your worth. Mm. Endurance isn't grinning and bearing it. It isn't being stoic and gritting your teeth to get you through. Instead, endurance is a blazing hope that refuses to let go of the promise. It, it, it reminds me of the story I heard of the optimistic little boy that they tried to prank. They took him into a barn and told him that his birthday present was this giant pile of manure in the middle of the stall. The little boy started jumping up and down and gleefully clapping his hands. When they asked him how he could be so happy with such a disgusting present, he exclaimed, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Now, that's what you call enduring hope that refuses to let go of the promise. Listen to verse 36 again. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Did you catch all of that? Let me, let, let me break it down this way. Endurance is the bridge between doing the will of God and receiving the promise of God. It is endurance that links the will of God and the promise of God together. Isn't that what he said? After you have done the will of God, then you may receive the promise. So you do the will of God, and then you have this bridge of endurance. How long is the endurance? I don't know. That's up to God. That's not my problem. And we endure, but we will receive. Here's what I've discovered. Many people are good at reciting the promises without obeying the commandments. That was really good, Pastor. You probably ought to just drop the mic on that and walk off the stage. While you're waiting for God to answer your prayer, most people have their focus on the answer to the prayer. Right? When are you going to answer this, God? How long must I go on like this? I've got a better question you should be asking. What should I do while waiting for you to fulfill your promise? If you believe the promise of God then you're going to be obeying the commandments of God. They, they go together. See, I, I don't have the answer yet, but I'm going to keep doing what I know is right. I haven't received the promise, but I'm going to stand firm in the faith. I may still be in a mess, but I'm going to keep serving the Lord. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Even when I don't even like what I'm doing anymore, I'm going to just keep doing it because when the master comes, he's going to find me about my father's business. Don't throw away your confidence. Endure. 
Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance brings you to the promise. Endurance produces change. Endurance allows you to be molded into the divine image and likeness. Endurance keeps you faithful. Endurance keeps you watching. Endurance keeps you waiting. Endurance purifies your motives so that you learn to act out of love and obedience rather than out of fleshly desires. Endurance builds your faith. Endurance develops your character. Endurance polishes perfection. Have you ever noticed that most of the time when you're going through a test, God is silent? Anybody ever notice that? You're praying, you're listening, you're asking for God to speak. Nothing. Nothing. Well, the other day I was thinking about that, and I, and I remembered something back from my school days. That's what happens when you start getting older. You can remember distant past. It's, it's you know, it's why you went into the kitchen that you can't remember things, you know. Well, out of, out, of, out of my school days, see, all through the semester, the teacher would walk up and down between the desks giving the lesson. He would lecture, he would illustrate, he would write on the chalkboard. I don't think they even have chalkboards anymore. You know, it's, it's at best a marker board, but now it's usually tablets or something like that, all right? But he would write on the chalkboard, and he would answer questions, uh, but on test day, he would hand out the test papers. And then he would say something like, make sure your books are closed and put away and there is to be no talking. Then he would sit behind his desk and silently observe until the test was concluded. During the test, the teacher is silent. Listen, just because God is silent doesn't mean he isn't there. And he has already given you everything you need to make it. Just keep doing what you know to do. Keep pressing on. Don't throw away your confidence. Endure. One more thing. Remember yesterday's provision. Recover today's patience. And then rest in tomorrow's promise. Verse 37 says, for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. This one thing I know, you can't hurry the promises of God. He has an appointed time. He has a due season. You want it now. I know you do, but God will not be hurried. Hmm. He will not be hurt. He's not moved by your impatience. Yeah. Too many people are praying for an explanation. Why is this happening? When will this be over? What does this mean? Listen, he's God. He does not owe you an explanation. And the truth is that even if God explained it, you still wouldn't really understand that's why it's called faith. Even when you don't understand, you continue to believe. You demonstrate that faith by your obedience, and that's what activates the promise. 
You keep obeying. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it because God said this is what you're supposed to do. And you know in your heart of hearts it's right. And you don't feel like it. And you don't want to do it anymore. But you do it anyway. And that's what activates the promise. While you're waiting, rest in the promise. Rest in the promise of Psalm 23 and 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Rest in the promise of Philippians 1 and 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Rest in the promise of Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Rest in the promise of verse verse 37 of our text. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. See, what you have from God is not an explanation. What you have is a promise. His promise is sure and certain. And of this you can be assured. He will not delay the fulfillment of that promise one moment past the right time. Recently, I read again the story about an old missionary couple who were returning to New York to retire after laboring for many years in Africa. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. And it didn't help their disposition when they discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions in Africa. Great fanfare accompanied the president's entourage. All the passengers were focused on trying to catch a glimpse of this famous man. No one paid any attention at all to the old missionary couple. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something's wrong. We have given our lives in faithful service to God all these years, and yet no one even cares. And here this man comes back from a hunting trip. He gets all this attention. Nobody even knows that we exist. Dear, his wife said, you you shouldn't feel that way. I can't help it, her husband replied. It doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and a lot of other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of stories about the president's arrival. But no one even noticed the old missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap apartment on the east side, hoping to see what they could do to make a living the next day. And that night, it it was just all he could take. The man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God isn't treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you just go in the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? So that's what the man did. Just a short time later, he came out of the bedroom, and it was obvious that his demeanor was completely changed. His wife asked him, Dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me, the old missionary said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when not a single person noticed us as we returned home. 
When I finished pouring all of that out to him, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and said, "Uh, but you're not home yet. Let me remind you today, I know this life is unfair. I know that so many times the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. The faithful are ignored and the famous are admired. But child of God, you're not home yet. Please don't ever lose sight of that. You're not home yet where you will experience the realization of all God's promises. Here's your word, a now word for a new year. Confidence. Confidence. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. This is the word I want you to embrace as we come to the communion of the Lord's table. In just a moment, I'm going to ask the elders to go back to their positions. If you'll wait just a moment, though, while I... See, just a few verses before our text in verses 19 through 23 of this chapter 10, the writer says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what we remember when we come to the Lord's table in this time of communion. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus that you are able to have the kind of confidence I've been preaching about today. So now I'm going to ask the elders if you would go to the stations and prepare to serve the congregation the communion. And I want to say to you, as you receive these elements, elders will come among you and as they serve you, I'm going to ask you to hold them until everyone's been served and then we will stand and receive them together. And as you receive these elements, my prayer is that your confidence will be renewed and restored by the life of Christ coming to you in a fresh way. Now would you begin to serve the congregation, please? Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence, you've never failed. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness.